We continue our series on miracles, and today we're talking about the miracle of Scripture. My first recollection of engaging with Scripture was in grade five when I received my very first copy of the New Testament from the Gideons. Anybody remember those days when kids could actually read the Bible, were given copies of the Scripture? And mine was a little silver copy of the New Testament with blue writing. I remember it like it was yesterday. And I remember beginning to read it and being thrilled by it, being absolutely uh, engaged. I remember reading the first uh, pages of the little New Testament that included the, a copy of the Beatitudes, it was a copy of the, of the Ten Commandments that were specially drawn out uh, for quick reference. Um, there was a sinner's prayer. There were a number of key passages of Scripture that I found absolutely amazing. And I began to read them, and in fact, I was excited about the possibility of reading, the, uh, reading and memorizing the Ten Commandments. At our household, we went to bed early, and we were supposed to get to sleep somewhere between 7 and 8 o'clock, but I started memorizing the, the New Testament. I thought, my mom will not mind me staying awake to memorize Scripture, right? Well, about 9 o'clock, 9.30 at night, I came down and said excitedly, Mom, I've memorized the Ten Commandments, and... And uh, I thought for sure that either it was going to be, it's going to end badly or it's going to be good. And thank the Lord, it went well. She was actually very excited about that. She was delighted that I was taking the time to learn scripture. Well, that was the beginning of a real, of my real uh, engagement with scripture. And then in grade six, I went to camp and my camp counselor happened to be a Gideon. And I noticed that in his suitcase, uh, Probably about, I don't know, nine or ten little New Testaments. And, man, they looked so nice. This time they were in brown, not, not quite as conspicuous as the bright silver ones. And I asked him if I could have one. And he said, do you have a Bible? Do you have a New Testament? I said, yes, I do, but I'd like another one. And he said, why would you like another one? He says, I said, I don't know, but I just want one. Can I have one? And he said, no, we'll, we'll, we'll see. And I, I begged, I pleaded, and finally he couldn't get me off his back, and he, he, he did give me one. But he said, I'm going to give it to you on the condition that you read it. So I said, I promise you I will read it. In fact, I will start reading it immediately. Now, the interesting thing is that that year at camp, I don't remember anything else that happened. The only thing I remember from that year that I went to camp is that I finally talked the Gideon into giving me a Bible. Now, how ironic is that? You have to convince a Gideon to give you a Bible. I got my New Testament, and I began to read the book of Revelation. And I distinctly remember my dad had picked us up, was picking us up from the camp to take us to, uh, to the beach somewhere else. And the whole way that, that we drove from the camp to the beach, I believe it was, uh, that was Grand Beach, I was lying down in the back of the car. Uh, I don't know if you remember the old cars, the old Buicks, and actually there was enough space at the back window where a, a small child could lie down there. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, the younger generation would not have a clue what I'm talking about. But I was able to lie down in there, just tuck myself away, out of the way, and I started reading the book of Revelation. Now, this is in grade six. Now, you'd think reading the book of Revelation, it would be like, uh, what's this about? But to the contrary... I found myself utterly and completely engaged. I could not put it down. And by the time we got to Grand Beach, everybody's piling out of the car and getting ready to jump in the water and swim and have a good time. But I was not interested in that. Now, you know that something's wrong with a kid that would rather sit and read his New Testament 
than go swimming, right? I would rather read my little New Testament. And I read that little New Testament, and I felt, uh, I felt, and I couldn't explain it at the time, but I understand now what it was. I felt that I had been engaged by God, that somehow God supernaturally showed up and met with me. Now, it's interesting, because when you read the book of Revelation, the very first few verses, and I think Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, John gives the promise, John being the author of that book. He says that if anybody would read this revelation, they would be blessed. And I certainly was. And I remember that very clearly in grade six. By the time I got to grade nine, I had really become a real lover of the word of God. And when asked what I want for Christmas, I told my parents that I would like a copy of the Thompson Chain Reference Bible. Has anybody ever heard of that? That was like the Cadillac of Bibles in the day. And I tell you, you could cross-reference any scripture, and you could find any scripture. There's a fantastic concordance in the back. But put it this way. If you were interested in the Bible, this is the one to have because it would help you in every way. And I, I can remember being extremely excited. Not only did I have a Bible and a Thompson chain reference, but it was genuine leather. I mean, how good can that be? And so there I was engaged in scripture again. And then when I went to Bible school, somebody gave me a copy of the New International Version. And that was in sort of modern language, a modern English, rather than the King James English. And once again, I found myself utterly and completely thrilled at what I was reading. And I could not put it down. I was underlining scripture. I was highlighting it. I was making margins in the, in the uh, making margins. I was making notes in the margins, making margins in the notes, uh, I was engaged 100%. Now, here's, here's the thing. The Word of God is not just a reference book, and here's where so many people do not understand what the Bible is. The Word of God is actually God speaking to you and me. What I understand now and what I didn't understand at the time is that every time I picked up the Scripture and every time I began to read it, I was giving God an opportunity to engage with me. I was giving God an opportunity to speak to me. Folks, the miracle of Scripture is that every time you pick it up and every time you read it, if you're asking the Holy Spirit to speak to you, God speaks to you. Some people ask the question, does God still speak to you today? And I say, 100% for sure. Anybody who picks up the Bible can experience the miraculous. They can experience God speaking. The thing that I don't understand is, why aren't we reading it more? Why aren't we engaging with God more? Why aren't we giving God an opportunity to speak to us more? Because every time you read the Bible, God does something in you. He changes you. He transforms you. He shows you something new. That's the miraculous. That's the miracle of the Bible. Now, before we go any further on that, let me just take a step back and look at the Scripture a little bit more objectively. The Word of God, as we have it, is actually a combination of, I mean, what we would call a Judeo-Christian Scripture. The Old Testament being the Scripture of the Jewish people, and the New Testament being the Scripture of Christians. And I'm putting it very, very simply. This is, this is God's revelation to us. It's how we understand who God is. 
It's how we understand what God wants of us. It's how we understand how to find peace and how to find purpose in this life. This book is a book that can be called miraculous because of the many prophecies that are fulfilled. The thing we recognize about our Bible, our Holy Scripture, as we compare it to other scriptures, is that in other scriptures, we find that prophecies, specific prophecies, are conspicuously absent. If you look at the Book of Mormon, if you look at the Book of the Muslim Quran, if you look at the Hindu Vedas and the Buddhist writings, you'll discover that there's nothing like what we see in Scripture. We recognize that there are hundreds of prophecies, many of which have already come true, many have yet to be fulfilled. But in the last century alone, we've seen over 10 prophecies fulfilled concerning the Jewish people. We saw Israel become a nation. People said that that could never happen. We saw a return of Jewish people from around the world, all according to prophecy. We, saw, we see the desert blooming like a rose, all according to prophecy. We see trees planted in Israel. The, the land is being reforested, all according to prophecy. My very first time in Israel, I had the opportunity to go and visit a, one of these new forests, and for a few bucks, I could actually plant a tree, not knowing that as I planted that tree, I was actually part of the fulfillment of Scripture, which was a really cool experience. We don't see scriptures, uh, in, we don't see in, in other scriptures prophecies and the fulfillment of prophecies the way we do in Scripture. Now, Dave Hunt says this. He says that the fulfillment of hundreds of specific prophecies is evidence or proof that there is a God. He calls it a visual monument to God's existence. I think that's a great way of, of stating it. The Word of God shows us that God not only cares about us, but that he is, listen to this, he is active in this world. He is active in our history, and that he is active in our future. And folks, what we have seen in the past, we're continuing to see even now. When we look at this book called the Bible, we don't see it as just a book of prophecies. We see it as a book of revelation of the mind of God, showing us how to be saved, showing us how to be transformed, and showing us what our purpose in life is. So let's take a look at that. Let's take a look at salvation. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, and verses 15, 16, and 17, the Apostle Paul is telling us what the Scripture is all about and its purpose. In verse 15, Paul says this, he says this to his young protege, Timothy. He says, Timothy, you've been taught the Holy Scripture from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. Now, can I just remind everybody of something? You and I do not know how to get right with God without specific instructions from God. Now, I mentioned to you last week C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien, and how what they discovered in all of the, the literature of different countries, different cultures, different societies, is that there was a common thread, and that is a desire to somehow connect with God. They call it mythology, and they said that in the mythology, people were constantly trying to connect with God, but they couldn't find the way. 
And the thing that stood out about Christianity is that not only did it talk about connecting with God, being reconciled to God, but it taught us how to be reconciled with God. And this is exactly what the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy. You can be reconciled with God, and God, by his word, tells us how that will take place. How do we deal with that, with that wicked and selfish tendency that we all have? I mean, there's not a person here today that has not got that wicked and selfish tendency to put me first. That's who we are. That's what we are. And we all have felt universally feelings of guilt and feelings of shame. We all understand these, these feelings. And we've all desired and had a longing for a sense of peace in our hearts. How do we find peace? Folks, that's what the Scripture's all about. God reveals to us, he shows us how to be free of the sin in our hearts, how to be free of the guilt and the shame that we all experience. God's word shows us how to find that peace. Oh, look at this. When you read from Genesis to Revelation, we have what we call a crimson thread. That's what pastors and theologians talk about. They talk about the crimson thread that runs from Genesis to Revelation. What are we saying? We're saying that the purpose of the Scripture from Genesis to Revelation never contradicts itself. It's always the same purpose, how to be reconciled to God, how to be reconciled to God. And not just how to be reconciled to God, but how to be reconciled to one another. Never do we see that change. Never do we see an aberration. It's constant, how to be reconciled with God, how to be reconciled with one another. This crimson thread. Well, what is this crimson thread? Well, first of all, the thread is the reoccurring theme of God's redeeming humanity, of God rescuing us from our sin. It talks, this, this thread that we're talking about is, is how, do we, how do we reconnect with God? Because we've been, we've been uh, because of our sin, we have found a distance between us and God, and we can't connect with God, and the Scripture shows us how to reconnect with God. That's the thread we're talking about. And we see it beginning in the book of Genesis. We call it the Proto-Evangelium, the very first gospel. If I asked anybody here, where are the gospels? Most of us would say, well, the gospels are in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But what a lot of people don't know is that the very first gospel is, in fact, in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 3. And here's what we read in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. God says to the snake... And I will cause hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. Genesis chapter 3, I've called it the key that unlocks the whole Bible. It helps you understand all of the Scripture. And so we see right in chapter 3 of Genesis, we see Adam and Eve and the creation under a curse because of Adam and Eve's sin, because they disobeyed God. Now look at this. In Genesis chapter 3, it introduces two elements that were previously unknown in the Garden of Eden. And these elements are the basis of Christianity. So it's really critical that you hear this and that you understand it. This is the basis of Christianity. The first element that before, before Genesis chapter 3, nobody understood it, nobody knew what it was about, but it was first the curse on mankind because of Adam's sin. That's the first thing we recognize. And this is what Christianity teaches, that we are all under a curse because of our sin, because of our disobedience, because we disobey God. 
But the good news, this is what we call gospel. This is what the gospel is. The good news, number two, is that God's provision for a Savior from sin, uh, 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 that through the Savior, he would take the curse upon himself. And so we see that here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Satan will strike Jesus' heel, but Jesus will crush Satan's head. That's the good news. Is that the curse that is upon all of us now will be dealt with by none other than Jesus Christ himself. That's the beginning of the crimson thread. Jesus will save us. Now, what does this crimson mean? What does, that, what does that represent? Why do we call it a crimson thread? Well, the crimson refers to the reconciliation and how that reconciliation takes place. To put it bluntly, the crimson that I'm talking about represents none other than the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, I've got to tell you, even as I say that to, a, to an audience in 2015, I think to myself, man, that's, that sounds strange, but here's what the Bible says about, about the blood. In Hebrews 9.22, it says, In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. What's this about? Well, folks, listen to me. When Adam and Eve sinned, before they sinned, actually, they were warned that if they took the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in that day they would surely die. So the fact of the matter is, is all of us are doomed to die. Not just spiritually, but physically. Or not just physically, but spiritually. So Adam and Eve take the fruit, and of course, you know, uh, they didn't die instantly. But they did die spiritually. The question is this, is how do we reverse that? And God says that the only way that that can be reversed is through the shedding of blood. We fast forward to the New Testament, and what do we find? We find Jesus dying on the cross, shedding his blood for you and for me. Now, what a lot of people don't understand is that the shedding of Christ's blood is actually a fulfillment of the shadows of, of redemption in the Old Testament. Has anybody ever seen uh, the movie Exodus? And you know that... that uh, uh, or maybe you've read the book, maybe you've read the scripture, you've seen it yourself. You'll know that, that Moses, he goes up, the, goes up the mountain and he gets the Ten Commandments, he gets instructions from God, and he tells, God tells Moses how the children of Israel are to worship him. And we find an elaborate system of worship whereby lambs are slaughtered and, and their blood is shed to save people. Their sins are covered by blood. We find the children of Israel, while they're still in Egypt, God warns them that the Passover lamb is coming, that the, or that, the, that the death angel is coming, and that the only way that they can be saved from that death angel is through the Passover lamb. And so what they have to do is they have to slaughter a lamb and take the blood from that lamb and put it on the, on the posts of their door. And every home that has that blood on the post of their door will be spared, will be saved. Folks, this is a shadow of what's to come. This is a shadow of what Jesus Christ will do for us once and for all. Whereas in the Old Testament, it was, it was necessary to keep slaughtering sheep to cover people's sins. Jesus comes along and dies, look at this, once and for all. 
No longer is it necessary to slaughter any more sheep. Through Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven. Now look at this, folks. The only way that we could possibly know or understand any of this is through Scripture. The only way that you could understand salvation is unless you read the Bible and discover how it is that God intends to save you and to save me. And if you don't read the Scripture, there's no way that you will have the wisdom that you need to receive salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. And so this is what Paul is telling Timothy. You need the Scripture to show you how to be saved. Easter's coming up very, very soon, and I can tell you this. The vast majority of people that celebrate Easter, they don't have a clue what it's about. They come to church, they do their, you know, be kind to God once a year kind of thing. They go home and, and that's it. They don't have a clue that what we're celebrating is the forgiveness of sins, the washing away of your sin so that you can be free of guilt, so that you can be reconciled to God. So that once again, you can go back to what Adam and Eve experienced when they walked with God in the Garden of Eden. That is what God wants for you and for me. He wants us to walk with him. He, because he's created us for fellowship with him. That's why at our church we teach that the very first habit that you've got to learn is a habit of daily walking with God, of hearing his voice. How do you hear his voice? By picking up the Bible and reading it. St. Augustine, one of the great fathers of the church, he said the thing that brought about his conversion, the thing that, that, that brought about the miracle of salvation for him is that he heard a voice that said, pick up and read, pick up and read. And he knew what that meant. He knew he needed to pick up the Bible. And when he began to read the scripture, he said it was, it's, as, it's as if God was speaking by an audible voice, showing him, teaching him what he needed in order to be reconciled with God. Now, here's, here's the thing that a lot of people don't understand, is that the, it, the Bible is not just a book that shows you how to get saved, how to become a Christian. It's so much more than that. The, the Bible is a book that shows you how to be transformed. Look at this next scripture verse in uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16. It says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives, it corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. I remember when our family uh, really began to go to church in earnest, we really got serious. This is a, as a boy growing up. I remember very clearly how things changed in our home. Suddenly we experienced a peace in our home. There was a harmony. There was a happiness that, that I, don't, I didn't recall experiencing or knowing like I did once we started going to church and started connecting with God. We started serving in the church. We taught Sunday school. We counselors at camp. We were helping and helping fix the church building itself. We were, we were all engaged, and, and just our lives were changed. And even more than that, our family began to experience a prosperity and and, and, and experienced God providing for us and meeting our needs in just amazing ways. I, I, re, I remember the dramatic transformation that took place in my life and on our home. Folks, listen, this is what the Bible does. When you read the scripture and you allow God to speak to you and you open your heart to hear what he's got to say to you, guess what happens? Your life begins to be transformed. 
And here's how I know that a person is reading the scripture, and here's how I know that a person is engaging with God, and I can can see the transformation take place in their life. Things begin to improve. I do a lot of counseling, and one of the things that I, I, I constantly want to know when I'm counseling before I counsel is this, are you reading your Bible? When I was a youth pastor, that was the very first question I would ask anybody that, any of the kids that came to me with problems, because we all remember what it's like to be a teenager. There's no shortage of problems, is there? And so I would say, the very first thing I'd say, did you do your devotions today? Before you talk to me, let God speak to you. And every single one of those problems that those teenagers came to me with, once they took time to read the Bible and spend time with God, suddenly they didn't have a question for me. Suddenly they didn't need to talk to me. Suddenly it wasn't so earth-shattering. Suddenly there was no crisis. Why? Because they gave God an opportunity to engage with them and to speak to them and to teach them and show them what they need to know. The question I have for you today is this. When's the last time you gave God an opportunity to engage with you? When's the last time you opened your Bible, not just to sort of, you know, get God off my back, I'll read my five minutes or my ten minutes of the Scripture, but I mean to sit there and say, God, I'm not moving, I'm not, I'm not leaving my chair until you speak to me. When's the last time you did that? Because here's what I know. That every single time you sit down with your Bible and you say, God, I'm ready to hear your voice, he will speak to you. The question I, I just can't seem to answer is, if I know that God's going to speak to me, why am I not going to him more often? Why am I not opening my heart to hear what he's got to say to me? Because I know looking across this this audience this morning, I know that every one of us here has got issues and things that we need help with. And we find ourselves going to just about everybody but God. And the fact is, is that God wants to help you. That's the miracle of Scripture, is that God wants to speak to you. He wants to give you the help that you're looking for. He wants to give you the wisdom that you're looking for. Or as the Apostle Paul tells us, he wants to teach us what is true. I hear people say, man, Pastor, I'm going through a time of confusion. And my first response is this. God's not the author of confusion, so why don't you go to him and let him speak to you? Paul says to Timothy that not only does the Scripture teach us what is true, but it makes us realize what's wrong in our lives. You see, again, the first thing that we want to do is we want to run to a counselor, to a psychologist or a psychiatrist, but Paul tells us, look, open your Bible first and take a look there, and maybe you can find your answer there. If you can't, then then go see somebody. Then go see a counselor. But I'm going to tell you, the answers to your problems are here. It's so easy, isn't it, to see what's wrong with other people? Every one of us, I mean, if you're a husband, you can, tell, you can give me the, the laundry or the, the shopping list full of, of problems with your wife. And if you're a husband you can, or a wife, you can tell me the, all the things wrong with your husband. And if your kid's here, you can tell me all the problems with your parents. The only person that you can't tell me has got problems is yourself. You see it in everybody else, but you don't see it in yourself. And Paul says, when you open the scripture... God shines a spotlight of truth on your heart and he shows you those areas, those things in your life that need to change or be transformed. God tells us and Jesus reminds us that man does not live by bread alone, 
but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. May, may I remind you this morning, the Bible says you've been created in the image of God. You're not like the animals. You're above that. You've been created in the image of God. And so you need more than just your physical needs met. You need to hear the voice of God because you were created for fellowship with God. And the only way that you're going to be transformed, the only way that you're going to be changed and become the new man or the new woman that you want to become is by engaging with Scripture. We, we, we're stuck in this notion or this idea that what we've got to do is we've got to raise everybody's self-esteem and make everybody feel good about themselves. And there can be nothing further from the truth. What you need to do is you need to hear God's word and you need to allow God to change you according to the instruction that he gives us. You say, well, Pastor Allen, does God really give instructions? Oh, yeah. Has anybody heard of the book of Proverbs? It's chock full of information for living. One of the great habits that I developed was reading a chapter of the Proverbs every day. You know, there's 31 chapters in Proverbs some days there's only, or some months there's only 30 days. Uh, then you got to read two chapters that day. And if it's February, then of course you're going to read a bit more. But generally speaking, you're reading one chapter of Proverbs every day, inspired and encouraged and guided about how to live your life. The other thing I like to do, and I, I learned this from Billy Graham read, uh, read five Psalms a day, Psalms and Proverbs rich in direction and guidance for your life. Read through the New Testament, especially the epistles of Paul, who tells you how to live and how to engage with one another, how to live this life that God's called you to live. But please understand this. When God saved you, when you became a Christian, God didn't just save you and, and work at transforming you. He gave you a purpose. When we were little, we'd get ready for church. What my mom would do is she'd dress us up in our Sunday, Sunday outfit. How many remember the days when everybody had Sunday outfits? This is now my Sunday outfit. It's far easier and far less complicated. But we had to put on Sunday best clothes, best shirt, a tie if I had one. And then my dad would get out the Brill Cream. Anybody remember the Brill Cream days? And this is what, he would, this is what would happen. He'd put a little dab, because a little dab will... Yeah, a little dab in the hand, and then it was this. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And I built brill cream all over his fingers. And, and I'm thinking to myself, any minute, those massive hands are coming at my head. <laughs> and he would begin to work that stuff through my, through my hair. And then there was a razor-sharp part in the hair. And we looked fit for church. How many know what I'm talking about? All dressed up. And then after we're all dressed up and the hair just right, then we were told, don't get your clothes dirty. So, so here we are, four, five, six years old, in our Sunday best, looking like a million bucks, but don't do anything. Don't move. Don't get dirty. Make sure that when you get home from church, your clothes are in exactly the same shape. Make sure your hair is in exactly the same shape. Now, I may be exaggerating a wee bit if my dad's here. But listen to this. So many of us have this idea, this notion that that's the way it is becoming a Christian. Is that God saves us and then he transforms us. He gets us all cleaned up, looking good, and then puts us on a shelf. 
Nothing could be further from the truth. That's a Christianity that is absolutely 100% foreign to the Bible. And here's what I mean by that. Look at this next verse, verse 17. Paul says to Timothy, God uses the scripture to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So you weren't cleaned up to be put on a shelf, folks. You weren't saved and transformed just to do nothing. You were saved and transformed to serve God and to do something significant to make a difference in this broken and hurting world. My question to you today is this, is what are you doing? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, what are you doing for his glory and honor? Hey, does anybody know who Jesus loved to attack? He attacked a group of people called Pharisees. The Pharisees were well known to be the most brilliant people in Israel in the day. They knew the scripture better than anyone. And as the Apostle Paul says, he was a Pharisee who was perfect. Now, would anybody here claim to be perfect? The Apostle Paul did. He was a Pharisee. He said, as far as the law goes, he says, he kept it perfectly. Now, you would think that Jesus would be impressed by people who keep the law of God perfectly. But here's what Jesus called them. He called them snakes. He called them a brood of vipers. Why? Because their use of Scripture was simply to gain and to add extra knowledge and information to their already stuffed brains. And Jesus is saying, the Word of God is not to give you more information and more knowledge. The Word of God is to equip you and prepare you to do good works, to change this world that you live in. So let me ask you a question this morning. Are you one of those Christians that's still stuffing information into your head? Are you one of those Christians that take, it's taking what you're learning and using it to make a difference in the world? When I watched this team from Burundi come down the elevator at the airport this past week, there's Dennis, and there's his daughter Christy, Christy's husband Nick, and then Jared and Aaron. I'm not exactly sure the order you came down, but I'm looking at them, and it all of a sudden it occurred to me that of the five of them, three were baptized not that long ago. Three of them just became Christians not that long ago. And now here they are, not just saved, not just transformed, but now they have a purpose, and they're going to Burundi to make a difference. These are people who've been prepared and equipped to do every good work that God has given them to do. What kind of Christianity do you have? What kind of Christianity do you have? Do you have the kind that's just filling your head with knowledge and you're just, you know, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, I've got my fire insurance, I'm not going to hell? Or do you have the kind of Christianity that says, God has saved me so that I could fulfill the purpose for which he's created me? And I know some of you have heard this message before, and maybe you've heard it repeatedly. But I'm, I'm begging you that today you allow the Holy Spirit to show you what needs to change in your life. Because it's not enough just to sit on a bench, not just enough to sit in a chair every Sunday. You've got to start putting into practice the work that God's called us to do. Have you allowed yourself to engage with Scripture? 
Have you allowed God to speak to your heart and to change you and to use you? Have you said, God, I'm learning, I'm growing, and I'm advancing, and I'm doing what you want me to do? Because here's what I know for a lot of people. You say, you know what? I don't get anything out of it. It's not taking me anywhere. I'll tell you why. It's because you're not following God. There's a progression. You're saved, you're transformed, and then you get busy for God. I don't care so much about what you know as much as I care about what you're doing with what you know. That's what it means to be a serious Christ follower. In every church and every Christian who tries to follow God without surrendering and submitting to what God wants is a Christian that begins to die. And it all becomes meaningless. Remember, we're talking about a relationship with Almighty God. And the miracle of Scripture is that God will speak to you every single day and every single moment that you read what he's got to say. Because this book is God speaking to you. Would you stand with me, please? Father, thank you this morning for your presence here. And God, without the scripture, we would have no way of knowing how to be saved. We would have no way of knowing how to be reconciled to you. And as it is, your word shows us how to be saved. We talked about that last week. It means we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ so that his blood would be shed for us and so that we would be redeemed by him, so that we would be forgiven. Your word needs to transform us. It needs to change us. Paul reminds us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. The only way we can renew our mind, God, is by being students of your word, by hearing your voice. But God, we recognize that we have a purpose on this earth. There's a purpose we're here. And God, we want every one of us, we want to be fulfilling that great purpose that you have for us. May this be a day of getting on our knees and seeking once again to know what it is you want us to do because we want to bring glory to your name. And so we pray all this in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me? Before you move, before you move, I need everybody to do me a favor this morning because sitting in the third row is a gentleman who's turning 91 today. And his name is Leonard McGale. Would you sing happy birthday with me for Leonard, who's 91 today? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Leonard. Happy birthday to you. Make sure you shake Leonard's hand before you go today. Now, listen, before you go, tell the person beside you, go read your Bible today.